You are listening to the Sermon Podcast for Triumph Lutheran Brethren Church. Our vision is to see the life and message of Jesus transform hearts, homes, and cities. Wherever you are, our prayer is that God would meet you and that the life and message of Jesus would transform your life. To find more resources, go to triumphlbc.org. Well, today we get to talk about politics. All right, so uh, maybe you know this, but in case you don't, the word politics comes from uh, the Greek words poly, which means many, and ticks, which means blood-sucking parasites. (laughs) So many blood-sucking parasites. Uh, Actually, since this is being recorded at the moment. Uh, I want to clearly say for the record that I'm totally kidding about that. Okay, so politics. Where does Jesus Christ stand politically? What are the politics of Jesus? Or let let me ask it another way that you've probably heard before or maybe even have said, like I have, can you be a Democrat and still be a Christian? Can you be a Republican and still be a Christian? Seriously, what do you think? Where, Where does Jesus stand politically? Well, let's read our text for today and we'll see if we can find out. Be reading from Mark chapter 12, starting with verse 13. And they sent to Jesus some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, Jesus said to them, why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. They brought one and he said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. Jesus said to them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. This is what the king says. So I guess we're not the only ones wondering where Jesus stands politically Because that's what the Pharisees and the Herodians are trying to find out. They're pushing a real political hot button here because they want to smoke him out. And this is really, really interesting because the Pharisees and the Herodians were political and theological enemies. I mean, they basically hated each other. In a nutshell, the Herodians sided with the Romans the Roman occupiers, and the Pharisees sided against the Romans. But here they are now working together to force Jesus into picking one side or the other. Where do you stand, Jesus? Are you for the Romans or against the Romans? 
Which side are you on? But here's how they ask it. They say, should we pay our taxes to Caesar in Rome or not? Hmm? Well, this is a really, really loaded question. It's way more loaded and more volatile than it sounds because the taxes that they're referring to, the taxes that the Herodians and the Pharisees are asking about aren't just taxes in general. Scholars say that they're talking about a very specific tax, mostly because Jesus specifically asks them for denarius. I mean, obviously there were taxes and all kinds of stuff, but the tax that they're asking Jesus about was called the head tax. The head tax was an annual tax of one denarius. Now, people had been paying this denarius head tax for like the last 25 years. And when the head tax was first forced on the people, and it's called head tax, like head count, you know, one for each person, that, that, that there was a revolt over this. And, and I mean, it's not a, a super expensive tax, so it really wasn't mostly about the money. It, it, it really was about the principle. Because the head tax was a tax that you had to pay for the privilege of having Caesar rule over you. So, t- 25 years earlier, when the head tax started, there was an armed revolt over it. And the leader of this revolt was a guy named Judas the Galilean. And for the record, this doesn't have anything to do with the Judas who betrayed Jesus. Actually, the name Judas at that time was pretty popular until that Judas who ruined it for everybody. I mean, uh, ever know anyone who named their kid Judas? Of course not. So when Judas the Galilean led this revolt, Here's what he did. He essentially did three things, okay? First, he called on all the Jewish people to refuse to pay the head tax. Second thing he did was he and a bunch of his guys all went and cleansed the temple. They, they, they got rid of the foreigners, threw all the Gentiles out of the temple, kicked out the Romans, but he cleansed the temple. And then the third thing, the, the, the last thing that Judas the Galilean said was, we are done with Rome. We're, we're not living under the Romans. We're going to live under the kingdom of God. God is our king, not Caesar. We're going to usher in the kingdom of God. But if you know anything about the Roman Empire, you could probably guess what happened. Rome was like, uh, no. And they caught him and executed him. And and so the reason I'm telling you all this is because now it's 25 years later. And look what's happening. Here comes Jesus, who's riding into Jerusalem like a king, who's constantly talking about the kingdom of God, and two, who cleansed the temple. I mean, uh, he, he, he just cleansed it. Like the timing of this is like a day before. He, he, he threw out the money changers, the animal sellers. And so that's actually when, when this, all this deal gets started. And, and so after this, now here comes the, the, the Pharisees and the Herodians, and you know why they're coming. I mean, I mean you, you can see what they're getting at here. They're wondering, is Jesus gonna lead a revolt? 
Is he going to lead a revolution here? Because there's only one thing that he's missing from the, the armed political revolt, revolt game plan. And that one thing is the tax, right? The head tax. And so they ask him, Jesus, Jesus, what do you think about the head tax? Should we pay it or not? And I never noticed any of this before. I mean, I mean for all those years, I, I, I just thought this was... Like, people didn't like paying taxes, and who does? So I thought that the Pharisees and the Herodians here, they were just trying to get Jesus in trouble, that they just figured, well, people don't like paying taxes, and so if Jesus says, you should pay your taxes, they're not going to like it, and he'll get in trouble with the people. Or, if he says, no, don't pay your taxes, then he'll get in trouble with the government. So I guess I always thought that, that they were just trying to get Jesus in trouble, but that isn't it. Well, I mean, it is. But th th there's a whole lot more to it than that. Th there's a lot more at stake here. Because what they're really asking him is, are you a revolutionary? You've cleansed the temple. You've called for the kingdom of God. What do you think about the head tax? Are you going to start a revolt against Rome? And so it's like the great Admiral Akbar himself famously said, it's a trap. It's a trap. And, and, and here's the trap. And the trap is worse than you think. Because on the one hand, if Jesus says, no, don't pay the tax, everybody's going to know that he's calling for an armed revolt, that he's doing what Judas the Galilean did, right? And everybody knows how that's going to end. The Romans will be like, uh, no, no. And they'll capture him and execute him. He won't just be in trouble, he'll be dead. So Jesus, if, if Jesus says, don't pay your taxes. If he says that, he's a dead man. But on the other hand, if he says, yeah, you, you totally should pay the tax. Well, then everybody who's been hearing him talk about the kingdom of God is going to know that he's a fraud, that he's just been blowing smoke all these years. Because Jesus has been talking about this, about the kingdom of God, for like three years, at least three years that we know of. And so now, if he says, seriously, people, pay your taxes. Just be good law-abiding subjects to Rome. Do what the Romans say and like it. If he says that, well, that undermines everything that he's been saying throughout his whole public ministry. And he'll be outed as a phony, uh, as, a, as a fraud. Everyone will walk away. He'll be canceled, right? Finished, kaput. See, it's a trap. If he says, yes, pay the head tax, it'll kill his ministry. If he says, no, don't pay the head tax, it'll kill him. So how do you like that? He's in a tight spot. Tell us, Jesus. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? Where do you stand, Jesus? Are you for the Romans? Are you against the Romans? Which side are you on here anyway? And then a hush falls over the crowd. And, you know, it's that kind of silence that's thick and hot. And everybody knows what's riding on this. 
And all eyes are on Jesus as they wait for his answer. You probably noticed this too, but when politicians today get cornered with a hot button question like this, they usually don't answer it, right? They, they, they usually do what, what somebody called, and I've always thought this is funny, the, the, the old Potomac two-step, right? They dance around the question. And one of the ways that politicians do this is, is, is by an, answering a question that nobody's asked them. Like, Mr. Politician, can you explain to us why they, that these photographs here sure look like it's you having a romantic candlelight dinner with your secretary? Can you explain these photos to us? And what does Mr. Politician say? He says, the real question here is jobs in this country. Why is Congress ignoring this? Blah, 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 blah. Right? I mean, watch a presidential debate. But Jesus doesn't do this. He, he, he doesn't do the old Potomac two-step. He doesn't dance. He doesn't evade. He actually answers the question, and his answer is amazing. It's amazing. But it's definitely not a straight answer. It's tough to get a straight answer out of Jesus, isn't it? He doesn't give them a straight answer. He doesn't do what, what they want him to do, which is just to walk right into their trap. He won't do it. He refuses to say either, well, guys, I gotta say I'm with Rome on this one, or there's no way I'm with Rome on this. He refuses to take a side, refuses. He doesn't give them a yes or no answer. What, what he does is he gives them some kind of a both and answer. Because, because look, I mean, what he, in his answer, he basically accepts the head tax and rejects the head, the head tax in the same answer. He asks for a denarius, right? A, a denarius was a, a silver coin. And so he takes the denarius that someone gives him and he says, who, who, whose image is on this? Whose inscription? And the image that was on it was Tiberius Caesar. And by the way, I, I have a denarius coin here with me. Um, and after the service, if there's any kids here that would like to come up and see it, or kids at heart who would like to come up and see it, uh, I'll hang around up here with it after the service. So uh, Jesus holds up the denarius for everybody to see, a coin that has Caesar's image on it. And on the coin, the inscription says, Caesar, king, son of God, high priest. Jesus says, whose image is on this? They say Caesar's. So does Jesus then say, okay, yeah, of course, pay Caesar's taxes. But that's not what he says. But on the other hand, does he say, Caesar is not king, son of God, and high priest? This is idolatry. This, this goes against our faith. We need a boycott. We need a boycott Rome. Do not pay your taxes. But he doesn't say that either. What does he say? He says, render. Render to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. Now, there's a lot of interesting details packed into this here. Because, first of all, 
uh, when Jesus uh, brings up the, the idea of, uh, or brings up the denarius, he says, he uses the word image. Whose image is on this coin? Caesar's. His picture's on it. And so he's basically saying, render to Caesar only the things that have his image on it. Anything with his image on it is his. They're his coins, it's his money. And uh, that literally it was because the Roman treasury belonged to Caesar. Roman coins were backed by Caesar's personal wealth. And, and, and so Jesus says, hey, it's his money. Render it to him because his image is on it. And when the Pharisees and the Herodians say, should we pay Caesar taxes? This is another very interesting thing here because they use a Greek word that means a gift or, or to present something to someone. But did you notice that when Jesus answers them, you notice that he changes the word that they use? They say, should we pay or, or should we give, present taxes to Caesar? And Jesus says, render, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And this original word for render is a word that literally means to pay someone back what they deserve. You see how clever this is? Amazing this is? There's just layers of meaning to this here. Because Jesus essentially says, sure, sure. Give Caesar what he deserves. And what does a tyrant like Caesar deserve? Maybe he deserves his money back, sure. But doesn't he also deserve some resistance too? Give Caesar what he deserves. Render to Caesar his money. It's got his image on it. But render to God what has his image on it. And what is it that has God's image on it? What has God's image on it? You do. Genesis 1, 27, God created humankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Jesus says, so, so you, you absolutely can't give Caesar what he ultimately wants, which is you. You to bow down to his rule, to bow down to his ways. Caesar wants you to swear your ultimate allegiance to him, to worship him. But you can't render him that. He doesn't deserve that. Don't give him that. It's not his image that is on you. I told you this answer was amazing. I mean, any commentators, scholars think that it was amazing too. Because, I mean, on the one hand, Jesus is not saying, bow down to Caesar and be a good subject. And he's also not saying, don't pay taxes and let's revolt. He's saying something completely different. He's saying, well, I'm leading a revolution, all right, but it ain't the kind of revolution that you've ever seen before. It's unlike anything you've ever heard of. <clears throat> so think about it like this. this. This is why the context here is so amazing. Because just like Judas the Galilean, 25 years before, just like Judas the Galilean, Jesus, the Galilean, right, is leading a revolution. 
He is, but, but, but it's a way different kind of revolution than Judas the Galilean led. Because Jesus wasn't choosing sides. He wasn't calling people to bow down to Caesar. And he wasn't calling for people to violently, politically revolt against Caesar either. But he was leading a revolution. He was cleansing the temple. He was ushering in the kingdom of God, but just not in a way that anyone ever imagined. So, I mean, uh, when it comes to politics, Jesus gives us no reason whatsoever that he would side with one political group over another. But he does side with someone, though. He does. Jesus does side clearly with someone. You know who Jesus sides with? You know who he sides with? Himself. Jesus sides with himself. Or as somebody once said, Jesus doesn't come to take sides. He comes to take over. You remember... uh, uh, remember the time in, in Joshua when, when Joshua was, who was Israel's military commander? Remember when Joshua was heading into battle and the angel of the Lord appeared to him? Remember that? Uh, it's in Joshua chapter five. It says there that when Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, a man was standing before him, the angel of the Lord, with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him, and he said to him, are you for us or for our adversaries? Are you for us or for our adversaries? And you know what the man, the angel of the Lord said? He said, no. Did you catch that? Lord, are you for us or for our adversaries? No. Lord, are you for our side or for their side? No. Lord, are you for the Republicans or the Democrats? No. Are you for the liberals or the conservatives? No. It's the wrong question. It's entirely the wrong question. The right question, the question we should be asking then isn't whose side Jesus is on. We should be asking if we're on his side. That's the question. That's the right question. And and not just for politics either, but for everything. Am I on the Lord's side here? Are we on the Lord's side of this? That's the right question for everything. So, so if Jesus is not willing to take a side politically, what do you think that means for us today? Can I tell you what I think it means? I think it means we better not do it for him. If Jesus doesn't take sides Do we really think it's okay to do it for him? Do you think that Jesus is okay, that he's on board when we say things like, you can't be a Christian and vote for him. You can't be a Christian and vote for her. You can't be a Christian and a Democrat. You can't be a Christian and a Republican. 
No, Jesus is not okay with that. He gives us no indication at all that he's okay with that. That it's okay to say, yeah, yeah well, this is Jesus' party here. Or this is Jesus' candidate. This is clearly the side that Jesus is on. Why is it wrong for us to say that? Because Jesus refused to say it for himself. Jesus was given the chance to pick sides and he refused to do it. We've literally just seen Jesus flat out refuse to choose sides politically. How dare we do it for him? Jesus refuses to be anyone's political tool, anyone's political mascot. And I mean, I, I know, I, I know that, that right now that there's probably some of us here who this is really rubbing the wrong way. Some of us are like, Jesus does too take sides. What, 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 what about this issue? What about that legislation? What about that candidate? And, and I, I get it, I do, believe me. I, I mean, it is easy to get all cranked up about politics. But, but here's the thing, that, that our country right now is more politically divided than it has been in some time. And I mean, you know, the, the kind of division that we're talking about here, I mean, it's not just that they don't collaborate well together. It's not that there's some misunderstanding between them right now. The political sides in our country want nothing to do with each other. They despise each other. They look at the other side as somehow less than human. And even worse, I mean, this isn't just happening in our country. It's happening in our churches. There's division politically in our churches. And it's happening in families. There are families that can't meet together because of politics. And this division is being fueled by cable news and then as it's amplified on social media and the information that's being typically spewed out by cable news networks and being shared then on social media has nothing to do with right and wrong it has nothing to do with truth no, it is about causing fear and outrage. They are working overtime to keep us scared and angry so we will keep watching and we will keep clicking and so that they can continue to rake in a fortune selling ads. It's got nothing to do with being fair and balanced. It's got nothing to do with being the, the, the most trusted name in news. It's about peddling fear and outrage to make money. And unfortunately, Christians are eating this up. We are feeding, feasting on this fear and outrage. And we know better. We know better. We should know better because we know Jesus. 
But so many Christians are every bit as fearful and as outraged and as cynical and as divisive as anyone else. I mean, look, uh, obviously, we are free to believe what we believe politically and to believe it as hard as we want to believe it. As long as we don't hate the people who don't believe what we believe. Because once we start hating the people who don't believe what we believe, we've picked sides, all right. And it's the devil's side. No matter how right we are about what we believe, when we start hating the people who don't believe like us, We've crossed over into an area that we have no business being in. And the, the Apostle Paul, I mean, this is 2,000 years ago, the Apostle Paul warned us about this. Galatians chapter 5. Paul says, For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. You were. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another for the whole law of God is fulfilled in one word you shall love your neighbor as yourself but if you bite and devour one another watch out that you are not consumed by one another we are consuming one another We're eating each other alive. We're devouring one another over our personal, political convictions. And maybe even worse, we're weaponizing God's word. We are weaponizing the word of God. We're using the Bible to smite our enemies and to judge our enemies instead of using God's word to offer our enemies cool cups of living water. And I don't know how any of this is going to change until our hearts are reined in and, and recaptured by the beautiful life and message of Jesus. The life and message of Jesus has to be more important to us and more influential in our lives than the, 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 the fearful, outraging propaganda of cable news and social media. We need to listen to God's word more than we listen to the talking heads on our TV. Our hearts and minds have to be reshaped by the life and the message of Jesus. We need the life and the message of Jesus to melt us, to challenge us, to encourage us, to help us, and humble us. It's our only hope here. Our only way through or out of this division is by being transformed by the life and message of Jesus and, and by actually following the way of Jesus. Choosing to go the way of love. 
joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, forgiveness, compassion, mercy, and grace. The life and the message and the way of Jesus Christ is our only hope. So, before we stand with the Republicans, before we stand with the Democrats, before we stand with anyone, let's be sure that we are first firmly standing in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we uh, are humbled and we're grateful because we remember that every good and perfect gift comes from you, and that includes our political freedom. And we confess that there are ways that we've allowed our politics to cause division. Honestly, sometimes it brings out the worst in us. And we've played our own part in this political climate that demonizes people who don't think like us. And it's stifled the work of your spirit in us. And so we pray, Father, that you would empower us to reach across these divides as we see your image in all people. And we pray, too, Lord, that, that we as your church, would, that we would be united so that we might play a part in bringing healing and peace in the midst of this, this bitterly divisive time in our history. Make us true peacemakers so that the fruit of our witness might help lead people to you because you are our, our truest and our best source of life and liberty and happiness. We are grateful to be your people who are equal in your eyes, the citizens of your kingdom, and we're also grateful to be residents of this country. As we stand in the gospel of Jesus for us, for it is in his name that we pray. Amen. Hey, I'm Pastor Doug. I just want to take a minute to say thank you for downloading or streaming this content today. We try and pray that it will transform your heart and draw you closer to Jesus Christ. I have three quick thoughts that I just want to share with you and it'll, it'll only take a minute. First, we'd love to connect with you. If you'd be willing, visit our website at triumphlbc.org connect and let us know how we can reach out to you. Or you can visit triumphlbc.org events to find an activity that you can jump into. Second, we hope that you see this content as supplementary in your walk with Jesus. Our, our digital content isn't really designed to be a replacement for belonging and engaging with a gospel community, whether that's here at Triumph or another church. And third, 
We invest a lot into producing this content and it's used to bless people like you and others all over our community. If this or really any of our other resources that you find online have been a blessing to you, would you consider giving? It's because of your generosity that we're able to continue creating and serving online. Thanks again and may the Lord bless you.